All right, welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. And I know I say this in front of every single episode. Oh, this is the this is going to be a super exciting one. But I'm not lying right now because it is one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, maybe guilty pleasure is the wrong thing. That I'm talking about wild game cooking. Everybody needs to eat. Uh, so it's not really a guilty, guilty pleasure. <laughs> I know. Well, I feel guilty about it because I'm not a great wild game cook, but I love talking about it. I mean, I even I conceptualize recipes that I've written on our website before. I, there's this one, a blueberry rough grouse pizza that I put out there and people have, have done that one. And it's a really good recipe, but I sort of, I do seem sort of like a, uh, feel like a fraud in that I'm writing recipes and I have zero chef background. Uh, but it, you know what? It is something that I'm super passionate about and I love talking about. And you, you've heard the, the voice of our featured guest. Uh, we have Danielle Pruitt, uh, a meat eater and wild and whole as our featured guest. But before we get to Danielle. We also have back uh, on the you're, you're kind of on the on the wing podcast tour right now, Marissa. You were gonna you were gonna say by popular demand, right? I was. <laughs> I, I, I thought it. I actually thought it in my head and I raced through it. Yes, back by popular demand as my co-host from Nebraska, um, Marissa Jensen, and that's because we do have an unbelievably exciting first ever event coming up, uh, Women, Wine, and Wild Game featuring Danielle Pruitt. But Marissa, if somebody's been living underneath a rock and hasn't tuned in to catch up on On The Wing podcast, introduce yourself and, and then you can roll right into an introduction to Danielle. That's perfect. Thank you, Bob. Um, so. I want to kind of give a little bit of a you know background into what I do. Um, so Marissa Jensen, I am the Education and Outreach Program Manager for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And part of the, I guess one of my favorite parts about the job, um, if I had to pick, was um, helping to um, really lead our Women on the Wing initiative. And what that is, is it's our organization's effort to provide a space for women who want to get involved in the outdoors and the uplands. Um, everything from learn to hunt events and social events, which we'll get to in just a moment, uh, to women's focused landowner workshops and our organizational chapters. So there's a lot of motivation and excitement to provide more opportunities uh, to inspire and engage women conservationists. So back to our social events, which is why we're here today. Uh, the focus of today's conversation is to discuss our upcoming brand spanking new Women, <laughs> Wine, and Wild Game virtual event. I feel like there needed to be a drum roll to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got the word spanking in there. I know, so I... I know. I had to throw it in there and spice it up a little bit. So, <laughs> um, so that's going to be Thursday, August 20th at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And tickets are now on sale. Um, those can be purchased at our website, uh, pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. And with every ticket purchase, uh, you receive a Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever membership. Um, special offers from our sponsors, which this event would not be possible without. So just a quick shout out to Waltons and McFarland's and Pretty Hunter for their continued support and excitement with our Women on the Wing initiative. And if that's not enough, Here's our drum roll. <laughs> our featured guest, um, she'll be providing a live cooking demonstration where attendees can receive the recipe ahead of time so they can cook alongside Miss Danielle Pruitt during the show, or simply sit back and relax and enjoy a glass of wine. So nobody wants to hear me talk much more. <laughs> we'll get into the introduction. Uh, welcome, Danielle. Um, she is a founder of Wild and Whole, as Bob mentioned, and then our contributing editor at Mead Eater and Avid Bird Hunter. Welcome. Hi, guys. How are you? We are very good. We're excited to have you on here. 
I know I am too. It's a, I, well, my first time to be on the podcast and I'm especially excited to be doing this event just because I feel um, the section for, for like women in Upland is very small, but also very hungry for more. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, it's exciting that I think there's a lot of growth and like any way that I can give back in a community of women is, is really fun for me. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's a great word. Hungry for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think about food all day long, so <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your story. You know, how, how did you become a hunter? And then, you know, how did that transition into your role as a, a wild game chef? You know, it's been a very interesting and unpredictable journey to get here. Um I didn't grow up hunting. Well, I say I didn't grow up hunting and I feel like I've told this story a hundred times. So if anybody's already heard it, you're going to hear it again. But um, (laughs) one really cool thing is even though I didn't grow up hunting, uh, my dad is uh, from South Dakota. He grew up on a small farm uh, outside of Oneida. That's how small it is. (laughs) Um, And he, you know, like at that age, like his parents were just – take a gun, get outside, go. They had a farm and, and, you know, it was whatever was in season or whatever he could shoot. And so growing up, I remember taking annual trips back to the farm, obviously around Thanksgiving and we'd spend a lot of Thanksgiving there. And I can remember cooking fried pheasant with my grandma in the kitchen. And like, you know, like that was something that was totally normal to me. But yet it was like always kind of the guys went out and did their hunting thing. And, you know, it was always really, really cold. And so I'm sure I was like, no, thank you. (laughs) Sure. From Texas. So like I'm not used to that kind of weather. But um, (laughs) and I never I just, you know, something back then just didn't really click. And I never really got into hunting until later on in life. um, I met my husband, who's an avid hunter, and we started hunting. I've got oh, you can't see him. (laughs) <laughs> you've got the That's bird dog that. there yeah <laughs> he's a George Strat Harsey he's head to my lap um so he's so he kind of got me into it in Texas dove hunting is a dove shooting <laughs> is a huge thing in the south um and it's really really fun and if there's really no better way to dust off a shotgun before upland season starts than by shooting dove all across the U.S. With the exception for like, what Michigan doesn't allow dove hunting. I think there's a few states okay. in there that that don't allow it. But anyway, so that's kind of like where I learned how to shoot a shotgun, um, and then we got transferred to North Dakota, and we lived there for five years, and that's when just my entire world completely changed, and it was just such a it's like one of the most special places on this earth. Like I just love that state so, so much. And I talk about North Dakota, like I was born and raised, even though I lived there <laughs> only five years, but it was a, it was a great five years there. And that's, um, I think part of it had to do with my first introduction to public land hunting coming from Texas. Okay. There's not a ton of that. And so I've always considered hunting as a rich man sport. And North Dakota, I just realized that, like, the opportunity was just incredible. And I remember, you know, going out west to the Badlands areas. And you got the north and south unit of the Badlands. And in between it and, like, kind of around it are our grassland areas. And I remember some of the first hunting we ever did was sharp-tailed grouse hunting out there. And to this day, I still, like to talk about it in this like very romantic way of, <laughs> of walking across the fields and not a single soul in sight. And you might be cussing under your breath a little bit because they're so flighty, but it was just, there was like, there was no end to it. It was kind of like this continuous type of hunting where it's, there's not like a, I don't know. I feel like duck hunting or, or deer hunting, there's like you get up really early, you wait, get in the morning, you're in the blind or whatever you're doing. And then there's like an end to the day. And I felt like like that kind of hunting is like the end of the day is when you or your bird dog 
can't go anymore, which, yeah. or you feel your back or whatever, um, which I thought was just such an interesting thing. But um, that's really where my love de developed for upland hunting and um, obviously started cooking a whole lot. Um, <laughs> Sharp-tailed grouse is, is wonderful too. I'm sure you yeah, got a lot of experience it was, with that. Yeah, it you know it. Um, my the first bird I ever shot was a pheasant, and like it was really cool because I had like I had cooked that pheasant so many times before. But I remember like eating my first bird, like how special that was. And then when I shot my first sharp tail, I was expecting kind of the same experience. And um, <laughs> it's a dark colored meat that should be kept dark <laughs> like it shouldn't be <laughs> cooked all the way through till it's gray and weird and i've made some mistakes with sharp tails before. <laughs> you don't know how much better that makes me feel <laughs> see i i think i had the opposite where you know i was told oh it's disgusting it's it's flying liver so i went into it thinking it was horrible and so i was pleasantly surprised <laughs> Yeah, it's, and it's unique. I mean, I remember the first time I did it, like, it was like a red piece of meat, and then I cooked it, uh, so there was still blush in the middle, but it was like a dark blush, so it almost gave, like, the appearance of eating raw chicken, <laughs> which to me really freaked me out. I mean, I'm totally used to it now. It doesn't, I don't think of raw chicken anymore, but it's, um. Cause it kind of turned a little gray on the outside um, as it oxidized versus like some of the, like pheasant, I still like to cush, to cook it to where there's still just a hint of blush in it. Like not like a chicken where it's just white all the way through because it gets dry so fast. Um, shark tail is just a, a, a different meat in general. It's more challenging, sure. I think. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the hunting came first and then mm -hmm. the cooking kind of followed is, is that kind no. of the no, I guess I should back up. Um, so when I was, I went to school for fashion design. Um, oh, okay. Why me working for a company like Meat Eater just seems <laughs> like I couldn't have ever imagined that ever. <laughs> um, so I graduated with apparel design and after college, I kind of freaked out. and was like, I don't want to do this at all. Um, I didn't enjoy it. And so I was like, well, just pick a job, any job, find a hobby, do it, love it. And I really enjoyed cooking. And so I started working um, in these cooking classes okay. and I was there for about a year. And um, really, we had a lot of different chefs all from all around Houston come in and teach. And I mean, we were doing like uh, a four course meal in a two hour span. And we do like four of those classes a day and they were all hands-on. So I'd like kind of walk around the room and help people and teach them what they're doing right or doing wrong. Um, and so that kind of repetition um, really set the foundation for how to cook. And then once we, and then Travis was already hunting a ton at that point. And so I was already cooking a lot of wild game because I thought okay. it was, I thought it was awesome. It was like, we would all go back to work and talk about what we would cook. And, you know, like everybody wanted to one up each other. And <laughs> I always had the upper hand because I was like, well, I had mallard. And they're like, what's mallard? I'm like, it's a duck. <laughs> so, you know, and they're like, you know, I just thought it was like the coolest thing because like I'm cooking things that you can't buy at a store. And, yeah. and, and that was like the fascination that really hooked me in initially was the the fascination that like like we eat beef pork chicken and a little fish and like our american society we don't really dabble outside of it and and once you really get into wild game you realize how boring that is and i thought this was like the coolest thing in the world to eat an animal that had been eating a variety of food to taste completely different and so that was kind of how I got into cooking wild game. And so like when I moved to North Dakota, I had already started butchering and doing kind of all of that stuff. Um, and I, I think when I moved to North Dakota, I didn't have my hunter safety. So I had to sit the entire first year out until I 
like was able to go through the hunter safety course and, and uh, all that resident, get my residency. So my first season I had to sit out and I would basically just tag along, um, just watching, had a camera and cleaned all the birds and deer. And I mean, it was just, I felt like I went from this whole thing first as a cook and then the next step was, I want to be a part of this story. And so I wanted to get in the field. And the next thing I'm like, well, I want to shoot too. I want to, I want to actually do this. And then the moment that like really changed was actually getting to eat what I had shot after years of cooking mm-hmm. what my husband shoots. And that feeling uh, of like just appreciation, like I wanted to feel that every time I ate. And um that's why I hunt. <laughs> That's why I still do this. It's but. a great story. And I, <clears throat> you know, what, what really, really opened my eyes and made me, as I prepped for, for the conversation, I, I looked at your uh, Wild and Hope page, the About Me story. And I just want to read from that for a moment. It says, I'll always remember the first pheasant I ever shot. It was on a small tract of land owned by the Corps of Engineers, flushed from the cattails by my golden retriever, Marina. Did I pronounce it correctly? Yep, like where you Marina. keep a boat. <laughs> <laughs> the wave of gratification felt from that meal was unlike anything else I had cooked before, and I wanted to experience that every time I sat down to, to dinner. My perspective on meat began to shift, and I couldn't stomach watching my dollar support factory farm meat. I decided to rely on the land instead of the grocery store, and I've never looked back. Today, my husband and I hunt and fish for all of our meat, and I process nearly everything in our freezer. I'm sure it's sort of odd for me to read back your words to you, (laughs) but uh, that was so beautifully written, and it was startlingly... It, it, it put me in that scene, but it also made me think back to some of my own experiences. And Marissa's just nodding her head because it, I I love, like this time of year, you open up a, a pheasant out of the freezer and you got a date marked on it in a state. And I can think about what my dog did to, you know, on point or retrieve. And then I go into the garden and fit, you know, pair something with it or find a, you know, a bottle of wine. And, and it's so much more than fuel in and fuel out. And you captured that so beautifully. And that's, you know, you've been a, to Pheasant Fest as a keynote speaker for us, I think three times. Is that right? Maybe it's two times so far. Cause you were in Sioux Falls and then last year in, um, mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, so right? Twice. Mm-hmm. Well, there'll be a third time coming up. Uh, <laughs> but your story just resonates so well with our members. So, anyway, it's just so beautifully written, and I just I could you. picture myself with uh, with you as as that bird flushed and Marina bringing back that that pup. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. Do you remember yeah. how you cooked that bird, that first pheasant? I do. I did. Uh, well, and this kind of le- ties all back into our event. It was a, a coco van. It's an old uh, French recipe that means rooster in wine. So back in, it, it's a French recipe. Like they, they would basically take all the old roosters that were not fit for other chicken preparations. And because they're so tough, they would just cook it, uh, in a big Dutch oven full of wine because wine is acidic and flavorful and it helps to break it down and just a slow method. And like, that was really kind of a, like a rustic country cooking. And somehow today, Americans, of course, we like take that and we like amplify that to this really gourmet French recipe. But I just remember thinking like, how appropriate is it to cook um, something that I've made so many times before uh, with a real rooster, or in my head, an, an actual rooster uh, would be the closest thing. I mean, a chicken is not like an old rooster <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so I, I just thought it was just really like the perfect uh, fit. And so that's what I'm actually cooking for the event is the uh, cook-a-bon. 
Uh, and we're so excited. We've, you know, participants, once they um, sign up, can get the list of ingredients that they can purchase ahead of time to cook alongside you. And I was just reading through the ingredients and kind of getting prepped too. And it was like, oh, I can't wait. And I just can almost taste it. And it's, just go and it's such a great meal. It's perfect for fall. It's, it does, there's a lot of steps. And like when you read the recipe, you're like, oh, golly. Um, and I write them like in detail so that like, yeah, have you ever like eaten something at a restaurant and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then they're like, I will give you the exact recipe. And then you go home and you make it and you're like, it's not the same. What happened? Um, like, All the time. Or, or like from your grandma or your, <laughs> something you love from your mom, like your sister or whoever. And you're like, what is it that they did differently? It's not the recipe that's changed. It's just like the little details and the little extra steps of like developing flavor is really the way I like to describe it. So it's to anybody who sees it, don't look at it and be, and be intimidated. It's just uh, an elaborate way of describing how to develop the most amount of flavor. <laughs> and this, your... just because it's so special. Yeah. So, and all your top secrets on how to prepare that dish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great one to celebrate. If you get a few birds in the in the in the freezer this fall, um, to do that on a Sunday or a Saturday, and spend a little bit of time and have your friends and family over. So speaking of the the Women Wine and Wild Game event that uh, August twentieth at six p.m. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess what. What are you most excited about as far as, you know, being a, a featured guest on that event? You know, I hunt all the time alone with my husband. Um, I love him. But I don't have a lot of girlfriends that I can kind of just call up and be like, hey, let's let's get out and do this or do that. Um, and I think, like, building a community of women is so, so important because we can learn from each other um in different ways than yeah for okay for instance um i went fishing in minnesota and i have like this fly fisherman who is like one of the literally one of the best fly fishermen in the world there's tournaments apparently for that um and like i've tried i mean i i've learned a little bit about fly fishing from my husband but it's you know, you, when you go and you learn from someone else, like you just kind of pick things up differently. And what I find when like women get together with each other is that was a bad example that didn't apply. I don't know why you said, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but when women get with each other, um, you just learn differently. And I think there's like a, a little bit more, I don't know, empathy involved, maybe sure. is the right word. Um, but I think just having a community and a resource to to feel really comfortable and asking other women questions if you're not familiar with whatever anything about hunting um, or if you want to travel to a different state and hunt, um, which is what I'll be doing this fall, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I am too. That community. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I'm so excited for this fall. I'm going back, um, well, through your neck of the woods uh, to Nebraska and then um, back to North Dakota to hunt sharp tails again. So I'm like very excited. Excellent. <laughs> I And I think, you know, kind of what you're speaking about, it's that, that camaraderie that you can kind of find and you know, we all eventually find our group and, you know, everybody's group looks a little bit different, but once you find that group, it just, everything feels different. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think the women on the wing initiative and, you know, different women conservationists that are, you know, leaders in this community, such as yourself, um, you know, it just opens the door for more women to feel comfortable to get involved if they were hesitant um, before. So I think it's just, it's so exciting to see, um, you know, all the interest and excitement that, you know, women in the outdoors have towards learning these things. And we're just, we're so excited for the event. Um, yeah. You know, when you were, when you were talking about your, um, kind of your draw to the uplands and the, the way through food, 
we hear that a lot. And, you know, I think there's even Bob a marketing term for marketing terms for that. And, you know, there's, are you referring to a locavore? Oh, geez, there it is. (laughs) And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, that was kind of it for me as well. Um, And so, you know, when I started hunting um, and I was an adult onset hunter as well, and, you know, I came across wild and whole and meat eater very early on, um, you know, in my transition. And it was that connection to the food that kind of drew me to that. Um, you know, what are, do you, how do you think social media kind of impacts new hunters and recruiting new hunters and even, you know, keeping them, um, you know, interested in coming back? That's a great question. Um, I think as we like, as we uh, should be a new, uh, hang on one second. What is the name of uh, the national survey that comes out every, what is it, like four years that tells you how many hunters are out there? And, you know, we've been looking at data from the past. um, And I think you kind of see the cyclical wave with women. Mm -hmm. um, and, And there's like, why is that? What what makes them fall in and what makes them fall out? And we really haven't got a real grasp under how social media has impacted that like these last eight years that mm-hmm. you know, Instagram has been huge. I mean, 10 years. I don't know how long people have been on. <laughs> it still feels yeah, fairly it's, new, but. It's, I mean, it feels like it's been around forever, but it really hasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like when we start to get new data on that, we'll see like a bigger picture of like what social media can do. Yeah. Um, because you're able to target people in very different ways. And I think there's just so many voices out there that can touch on an aspect of hunting that will resonate with people in a lot of different ways. I mean, food yeah. is obviously the way that I sort of approach it and I never really expected to enjoy hunting as much as I did. And kind of like even building further upon that, um, when you really find something like, like you care so much about these animals and this food, like, like you kind of just sort of go down this path that it's not just appreciation for the animal. I suddenly realized the more and more I'm outside, the appreciation for um, the habitat is I want to be conservationist now. And it's really interesting how social media can, um, can really tell those stories from a lot of different voices. I mean, there's debate on whether or not the look of war is really the answer for hunting, <laughs> which is true. I mean, sure. not everybody loves to cook all day, every day. Like I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's that's fine it's fair um but i really i am curious to see like how how it does impact and i think it's as important as it is to tell the story about connecting to our food um for new hunters using social media to tell the story of what authentic hunting is yeah. you see a lot of success stories you don't see big articles about failures and mm. I have a lot of them <laughs> I have so many and um like one time we were out this is a, this is a sidetrack story this is really is it on topic I'm sorry I feel like I've been doing this this whole conversation segue into something it's perfect. else but well, one time we were out hunting and I, I bring up my husband Travis all the time because he's been so monumental in my understanding of what hunting is but we were hunting and um, it was, I might've been the very last day of the season and it was freezing and the snow is up to our shins where you like, you step and then you step down like further because <laughs> of the snow and we were kind of follow, following this creek along and like, you know, we finally get to the end and push all the birds and I miss ironically i missed and somehow my dog found an injured bird and brought it to me and i was like you gotta you gotta be kidding me my dog's getting more birds than i do and i have a shotgun (laughs) and i remember just being so upset i mean excited my dog was able to like track out an injured bird but like also really upset that like i you know this this long hike in and this miserable weather i missed and i was like 
I don't even understand what the point of hunting is if I can't shoot anything. Like, what's the point of this? And then he stopped, looked at me, and he said, Danielle, if you think hunting is about killing, then you're missing the point. And then it took some time for that to really wrap around my head. Um, why am I hunting? What is this about? What? Did, why do we? Why do I keep coming in the field? And, and like the, those are the stories that like I I really love seeing on social media mm-hmm. because I think if you want to introduce someone new to hunting, someone really brand new, food is a really great resource. But there's also like there's a lot of different faucets to hunting that um, it's just not it's just not easy. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. Um, when I think it's hard to your question. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's that perception of, you know, everything is, is easy and successful on social media. Cause those are the things that we like to share and talking about failure sometimes can be harder. Uh, but you know, that's where I think when you talk about some of the communities and, you know, getting people together for, you know, a similar cause that, you know, some of that, you drop your guard a little bit and and you're more open to talk about those failures and support one another and, um, you know, just provide that excitement and support and help for others. So um, totally. I think I was at a BHA event and there was another woman there and she's wanted to start hunting and she was like, well, I just, I, you know, shooting a shotgun's hard and I'm just not good at it. And I don't like, I don't know what to do. Do I keep hunting? Like, what? Like, how did you do this? And it's like, well, first of all, you should be comforted that, like, well, first of all, awesome for you getting out there. Second of all, like, don't for a second think that I'm some sort of Annie Oakley because I'm totally <laughs> not. And and there are struggles with it. And I think like having the community to be open and to share things that you've learned, things that are hard, things how you got through it. Um, I had so many bruises on my shoulder when I had a <laughs> shotgun. I have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with guns, <laughs> but oh, that when community I, is really important. Yeah, I remember when I started learning how to shoot a shotgun, I had bruises on not not in the pocket where you should, but on the side of my arm. And I just remember asking somebody, like, I don't think that's normal. Is that where you're supposed to have bruises? <laughs> Yeah. So having that support of like people you feel comfortable with asking those questions, it it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I think, I mean, men are, men are great teachers in a lot of ways, but you know, back to that empathy. (laughs) Sorry, Bob. Were you talking to me? A woman is more sympathetic. A woman is more sympathetic when it comes to having bruises on their collar and shotgun. And guys like, well, you did it wrong. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. I, no I remember the first time hunting with Bob and, and a group of individuals on our rooster road trip. I think I uh, I had to tell them, you know, a hundred times just to preface, guys, I just want you to know I'm a terrible shot. I don't want any expectations. I'm a terrible shot. <laughs> just said it from the beginning but well and what you learned is we're all kind of terrible shots right well we don't yeah <laughs> and that's, don't like to talk about that. well and it's also you know that that mythology of social media as danielle alluded mm-hmm. to like everything you shoot at doesn't fall out of the sky and um and, and that is I think that's one of the redeeming benefits of conversations like this is, you know, you can talk about uh, the failures in addition to augmenting the social media successes. But Mm -hmm. I also think about like some of the good aspects of social media, because it it is an entry point for, you know, like in in your, I think both your cases, locavorism, sorry to use the marketing buzzword. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the meat component of hunting pulled you in primarily. And it's a big piece for me too. And what I think you learn is it's a huge piece for most hunters. And, yeah. you know, it, it, when you're standing outside the hunting community, it's easy to just say, oh, you just like to hunt to be with the boys. Well, once you get in, you realize like for me, the number one piece is the dog component. That, you know, I love 
that just being with my, you know, my wife's my best friend, my dogs are my second best friend, you know? <laughs> so, so, and I know that the dog components is super important to both of you as well. And then Danielle, how you described in your about me section about the, the landscape and your first experience sharp tail hunting in North Dakota, where it's just this endless sea of grass and the day is your oyster. I feel yeah. that how I, I love to just hunt alone, just me and the dogs mm -hmm. and walk to the horizon. So on the outside looking in hunting appears to be one dimensional. Let's hang with the boys, drink a little beer after the hunt and try to bag a buck when you, right. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the outsider's view. Once you yep. get into the community, uh, you start to see all these different level levers and components. And that's the, that has been the beautiful part of social media is it highlights what's important to different people. And you start to see the well-rounded aspect of this entire experience we call hunting. And it drives me crazy. Sorry, pet peeve tangent of my own. Um, <laughs> it drives me crazy when people call it a sport. It's yeah. not a, it's not a sport. It's, I worked in professional baseball for seven seasons before entering the world of conservation with pheasants forever and quail forever. Two completely different things. Baseball is a sport. Hunting, fishing, the outdoors is a lifestyle. It has, mm -hmm. it's, it's not about winning or losing as Danielle talked about her husband saying, this isn't about the killing. If, if hunting was about the killing, it would be a sport. It's not. It's mm -hmm. a, it is a lifestyle. And the way that both of you kind of come on as adult onset hunters, it's, it's so refreshing to see it happen. And I, I give a ton of credit. People can bag on social media, but it, and I know that's not the only door, but it opens the door for so many people to experience something that some of us have grown up. You know, I call my mom the original woman on the wing. You know, I love my, that. My mom, it, it, equally with my dad, taught me how to hunt. And there are women that have grown up since they were little kids, but that's not always the way and you your stories are so incredibly compelling and i i'm sitting here listening and i'm sorry i tried not to overtake the conversation but it was it's so fascinating and, and just wonderful to hear you both talk about your experiences so what i want is to hear about your dog story danielle because you mentioned <laughs> marina in your first hunt and you earlier you had a draught that was uh yeah. interrupting the podcast tell us about the dog component it's such a draught thing to do <laughs> um yeah so we we got marina when we were still living in texas because um we did a lot we, we dove hunted and waterfowl hunted so we had so we got a golden and she, i mean she's got i have i think everybody you know how like so every parent has to say that their child is the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. I think it's like, all right. It's like a thing of bird dog owners have to say like, my dog's got the best nose ever. Like, like, <laughs> is that, does, do y'all hear, notice that? Maybe that's I mean, no, me. cause mine does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, she does have a great nose. Um, so our first two years in North Dakota, um, when we realized like, oh my God, we can, what is plots? And if it's not posted and we were just like, our mind was just blown of all the opportunities. Um, and then we found like this, a lot of little spots around where we lived and that we would hunt. And God, I don't know if y'all ever hunted behind a flushing dog or like, or a dog like a golden, but she would find every bird in that field. But like, like, I wish somebody had a camera today to watch us out there because this is our first year ever upland hunting. We don't really entirely know what we're doing. 
the dog knew how to find the birds. We knew how to shoot. And I was like, all right, we'll just let the chips fall. <laughs> and, you know, like now that we have a bird uh, at like an actual pointer, I know I could, he, he's so much, he's much more methodical in the way he searches a film. Marina, it was like, it was like following a bee. It was just like to the left corner, to the right corner, to that, that like, it was just like these zigzags all over the field, like, like growing. And we were running because every, if we didn't run with her, they would all flush out of, out of range. And like, I wish I could just capture some videos of those days. Cause it was like, I would just laugh and laugh <laughs> looking at how stupid we must've looked out there to other bird hunters with, a pointer and who's slowly walking up to their dog. <laughs> um, so we did two years with Marina and Marina was, she was great. She is, she could, she is a great bird dog. She's just not a pointer. Um, and then we got Zia Deutsch-Drathar. Um, and we were just so, so lucky that we lived in an area with wild birds. And since he was a puppy, like he was just, always always had so much exposure to wild birds and I, I believe I'm not a dog trainer but I believe that has so much to do with the dog's ability to mature really fast in the field um, is that constant exposure to wild birds and so we were really fortunate to to live in that kind of area to to do that so I've got a golden swamp collie and a versatile hunting dog. <laughs> a swamp collie. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of that nickname, Bob? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I have just... uh, my one of my best friends. I did that we do uh, radio with Billy Hildebrand. You've been on with him. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, KFAT. He had uh, swamp collies for a number of years, which and they're just wonderful hunting dogs. But they're great in the home. They're they're a great cow. Yeah. 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 She's. So, how'd you end up with a draw? We had a friend with a draw Um Well, we had friends with some GSPs, and then we had um, friends with Vishalas, and then we had um, one guy had a Drothar. And there was just something about that dog. We just really, really loved that dog. Um, and then we went down the Drothar rabbit hole. <laughs> really really hard <laughs> so the whole uh nine yards with the testing and arm rooster and, and all that business um he's he's a phenomenal dog uh but yeah yeah the dry dog is used he's four now okay so four he's coming into his prime yeah and you know we've been in Texas two years, so half his life has been here, and bless his poor heart. Um, I'm already thinking about, I, I've been thinking about my plans for upland season and, and driving up north because he just doesn't get to hunt nearly as much down here. He gets to do, like, some quail um, in south Texas, and, like, we take him to New Mexico for quail, but nothing like it used to be, and it's so hot here and I just cannot exercise him. Um, the, he, he's, we've had one call where we thought he might have was close to overheating and, and we had just moved here and we were like, nope, we're done. We're done with running, running him around this area. Yeah. We, just, we just can't do it. But um, yeah, he's in his prime. So I, I'm really excited to take him back to North Dakota and um, back to his stomping grounds and just kind of, like riding a bike, just pick up right where you left off, hopefully. <laughs> That's very exciting. Yeah. So what about you? Oh, with the bird dogs? Mm -hmm. I've got two German short hair pointers. Um, apparently one was not enough. So <laughs> <laughs> the one is, um, you know, I got her the end of last year. Her name's Yeti. Uh, and she was basically kind of started a little bit later. Um, I got her when she was about six months of age. So although she had a little bit of exposure last year, this is going to be her, uh, her first real season. And we are not that I'm counting one month and two days away from our, prairie, our uh, Nebraska Prairie Girls opener. So I am 
I am anxiously waiting. I'm not down to counting minutes and seconds yet, but it's getting close. So <laughs> nice. And Bob, Bob is a, a fellow fan of the pointer. I have, uh, yeah, I've got three short hairs. I've got um, a 13 and a half year old, a six year old and a 10 month old. So I've got them staged out in different phases of their uh, their experience. Yeah, <laughs> you're right on when you talk about uh, you know your draught being in wild birds from a time that they were so young. There's that saying, you know, nothing teaches a bird dog to be a bird dog other than wild birds. You know, or not mm -hmm. like wild birds. Yeah, you're so right. When you're in a an environment where they're a young pup and they're out in the field chasing that scent mm -hmm. it uh it is it's a beautiful thing to watch it uh, really is oh go ahead no it's just so uh, one of the things that so when people sign up to get the um for the the women wine and wild game they get the list of ingredients and uh, one thing that when that list comes in that's not on there is the wine piece of things. So I was curious like, for pheasant cocoa vine, not to not to too hard of a transition here from bird dogs to wine, <laughs> but there's that's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> I was I was I was looking at the website. I was thinking, well, what sort of wine should somebody be, you know, shopping for to be prepared? to pair with the recipe that you're going to be cooking on August 20th. Is that my answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? well, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Like, what's the flavor profile? Well, I knew that we had, like, for? I thought, well, I just thought we had somebody, um, a wine distributor that was uh, working with the event, so I didn't know if there was, like, a different answer. No. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's um, a free-for-all. <laughs> uh, red wine. So I... I think traditionally it's burgundy wine and I usually choose um, some sort of red blend. I'm always partial to Pinot Noirs, but um, just avoid any kind of uh, uh, like Merlots. There's real fruity purpley ones. Like one time I made this for friends and um, I used, I think a Merlot. And um, everything was dyed purple, so it has been dubbed purple, purple chicken recipe. <laughs> it still tasted good. It was a little too aesthetic and a little too purple um, and sweet, but um, but like a really good red blend um, would work. Uh, dry, dry wine for Great. sure. Dry. <laughs> it's funny when I originally started that foodie route, the locavore route, you know, I'm thinking, well, pheasants, kind of a whitish pink me that I should probably go towards a white or a rosé. And, you know, so I went into a, um, a local wine store and was like, no, no, exactly what you said, like pushed me towards, you know, a Pinot or um, um, like a French red, a blend, um, you know, a Tuscan, mm -hmm. super Tuscan is a good fit. But yeah, the, the, you know, the, the novice in me was thinking, oh, whitish bird, whitish wine. <laughs> well, there is, there are recipes, um, actually, cook-off Riesling I've seen. Um, you can kind of take the same recipe and put a white wine spin on it. Um, you just do, it's, it's more of a cream-based. Hmm. It's, it's very, very similar in the fact that it's got onions and mushrooms, but there's just white wine and cream involved. Just a little bit. That sounds good. Yeah, they both sound good. Virtual Women Wine and Wild Game Part Two. That's exactly what <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking. Like, oh, look at this. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <laughs> I made something similar at uh, the Pheasant Fest last year, and I used um, it's it's like a really simple pan sauce with browned mushrooms, white wine, and a little cream. Um, but instead of using rosemary or thyme, I used used sage, which just same thing about sage during November month is just so mm -hmm. perfect. And uh, my trick is is to fry the sage first and set it aside, and then at the very end you have like kind of this crispy like fried herb 
that pairs really to do with it. I would Maybe have never time. thought to do that. <laughs> it's such a simple thing, but it's really good. So if you have an herb garden, save that sage. It's good. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So Women, Wine, and Wild Game Part 2 coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very excited for the upcoming show. And uh, yeah, August 20th, 6 p.m. for everybody who wants to join us. Um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a lot of people attend and continue to, to grow that. So yeah. If people are looking for details, you can find it on the, the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever websites. It's the rotating banners uh, right on the home pages. You click on that link and it'll take you right to ticket information. And like Marissa mentioned earlier in the show, uh, $40 gets you the all access backstage pass. <laughs> To, uh, it gets you the, the full roster of in, uh, ingredients to get prepared to cook alongside virtually with uh, Danielle Pruitt and that full year's membership with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, all right. So as we, um, as we move towards a lightning round, Danielle, some quick hitters, uh, what's your, what, what do you think is the easiest type of wild game um, recipe preparation for somebody that's just getting started. You know, if you look, look online, a lot of people will do the jalapeno popper wrapped in bacon, or it'll be the cream of mushroom soup in a, in, you know, those are the two, like everybody's go-to, but if they wanted to take it to the next level, but still be relatively easy, what, what jumps to your mind, let's say pheasant or quail, you know, relatively approachable um, white to pinkish bird, and it plays to our audience well, what would you recommend? You know, sometimes the best thing is really the absolute most simplest. And I think if there's one thing to really, um, to heed my advice on is to season pheasant or even just brine it very, very early. Um, like season it as in like, you know, how before you put meat on the grill, you sprinkle salt and pepper over it. Like that kind of seasoning, you don't have to like douse it in salt. But if you let that sit in the fridge for several hours before you plan to cook, it will act the same way as a brining will react. And what happens when meat cooks is you're basically losing all the juices because it's the proteins are twisting and it, it's like wringing a rag out. Um, <laughs> same thing happens with the muscle fibers and natural juices. And so it just pheasant is just so lean and it cooks so fast um, that like you really want to retain as much moisture. So salt is just so important to help you retain that moisture. So season it early in advance with salt and pepper. And I either use like butter with a little cooking oil or ghee or like, like clarified butter. And I just sear it in the pan on both a few minutes on each side and I'm done. And sometimes that's always just been my favorite. I don't, there's no bells and whistles. It's just like season really, really early, even a night before. And then just, uh, just hit it hot on the pan with finished with some butter. Um, and if there's butter left in the pan, squeeze a little lemon in there. If you got capers, you can add some capers and you've got, you know, like a lemony caper sauce. It's just the easiest thing ever. Um, that's what I would do. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm planning on, I'm like, okay, are we done? I'm going to go cook right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, that was not lightning answer. <laughs> that's okay. It's, it's just a marketing buzzword name. <laughs> Um, all right, second lightning round question. Take as much time as you like. Uh, you got the magic wand to create a day to do whatever you want type of hunting and wherever you want, chasing whatever you want. Explain that perfect day to, to us. Part of me wants to say checker hunting in Idaho because it's so, so beautiful. But it's painful on the body. Um, 
So I think really my perfect day would be sharp tail hunting in the grasslands of North Dakota. Hmm. Um, mostly for nostalgic reasons. I think it's just um, sort of where it all began for me and where I fell in love with it and just sort of having that wide open space again um, and the dog. And, and I'd have to have a tent and camp out this time. Last time we were so close to home, we always drove home, but this time it'd be nice to sleep under the stars. You have the magic wand. You can create the day oh, however yeah, you do want. <laughs> Does your husband go with you or are you alone? You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I love doing every, we do everything together, but there's something really special about hunting alone for sure. Yeah. Uh, he's right behind you, you know. He's going to listen to this yeah. later. <laughs> My <right>. answer. <laughs> uh, one bit of advice that you, you wish somebody would have told you as you were getting in, into the world of, of hunting and wild game cooking? To relax and stop trying to make everything perfect. And it's not about killing, mm. like just have fun. Don't mm. forget like to have fun. Sometimes I get a little wrapped up in the need to just make everything happen the way the textbook tells you it's supposed to happen and to just sort of, I don't know, just to just relax, have fun. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't have to say, I don't know, because I think that's absolutely perfect. It's okay. it, <laughs> I really, I, I think that is the best advice for anybody really at any level, like have fun, enjoy. It is, it's mm -hmm. like you say, it's not about the killing. It's not the destination. It's that journey. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think we all experience that. It, you know, we, we need to be reminded of it sometimes, you know, even people who've been doing it for years and years, just to kind of be reminded of what we're really out there for. And it's a perfect statement. Yeah. Marissa, did we miss anything in the conversation? I, I know that, uh, um, you know, we, we want to hit the details of the event one more time to encourage. I was just going to ask, did yeah. we talk about the fact that we have a women wine and wild game event coming up? <laughs> uh, no, this was absolutely incredible to have you on the show, Danielle, and to, Thank to you. speak to you about, you know, what got you started and, um, you know, ways that we can inspire others to get involved and having you a part of the women on the wing initiative is an honor. Um, and we're really excited for this upcoming event. So we hope that, uh, our audience will join us for that. And, uh, just once again, it's August 20th, which is a Thursday at 6 PM. And you can go online at pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org to pick up your tickets uh, we look forward to seeing you there and continue to follow along with our Women on the Wing initiative to see what we cook up next. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, um, it, so one point of clarification for everybody is while it's, it's certainly we're, we, we certainly are trying to recruit women, um, mm -hmm. it, it's certainly open to all. Uh, yes. And, and I say that because I'm going to watch and join. <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's, we're being very deliberate uh, with, with Marissa's um, initiative and position, the Women on the Wing uh, initiative, that as an organization, we're really, really trying to recruit women into conservation and this lifestyle that we all love so much. But, um, you know, if you're, you're a guy, uh, whether you're a husband, a boyfriend, a son, you're also welcome to to join because Danielle has a lot to teach all of us. Um, Absolutely, and uh, it is it will be a fun event. And Danielle, you know, I, I also want to say thank you so much for being a part of not only this event but the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic events. You are a wonderful 
ambassador for the lifestyle that we all are so passionate about the way you talk Thank about you. the the landscape and I mean, we all knew you were going to mention North Dakota sharp tails when I gave you the magic wand. <laughs> you, could, you could. It's just too. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like most people would assume pheasants because they were everywhere, but there, there's just something more wild about sharp tail. Hunting. Well, and the way you explained it earlier in the conversation is like. Well, I don't even need to ask this, but I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> because you can you can feel that with with and particularly I think upland bird hunters because we 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 don't sit in a stand. We're we're walking, we're experiencing a landscape through the eyes of our own eyes and through the eyes of a dog and and it's just it's so like you mentioned earlier it's so complex and mm -hmm. when when you do get to create that perfect day and and relive all those elements um in the way you so beautifully articulate it um whether it's through social media meat eater wild and whole um you are opening doors um whether you're a formal ambassador or not uh <laughs> you're opening doors to all sorts of folks men and women young and old to get involved. So um, keep up what you're doing because it's absolutely inspiring and, and wonderful to have you along with our organization. Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I We've joined Pheasants Forever the moment we moved to North Dakota and I've always thought it was just such a cool organization. So like to be here like is really, really cool. <laughs> it's really special. <laughs> so thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a really, really fun conversation, and and hopefully we get hundreds of people to to attend the Women Wine and Wild Game, and then we can have part two, and then I can break out the white wine for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I've got to do some shopping for for a nice uh, red blend or a Pinot Noir. So, to and yes. and what's the recipe we're cooking, Marissa? I'm putting you on the spot oh, to pronounce no, it. Oh, <laughs> no. Okay, hold on. Coca vin, right? Am I still yeah, saying that? Yeah, I, I used to say Coca vin all the time. It's like Coca van. I like to say vin because it's short for vino, but it's Coca van. So okay, it, okay. Full I'm also a Texan who doesn't have the proper <laughs> French, so... So no full worries. Dis <laughs> full disclosure. Here's another uh, level of guilt. You know, my last name being Saint Pierre. Before we jumped on, I was like, "Well, I've got to know how to pronounce this." So I did the old Google pronounce pheasant cocovan on um, on on through the Google machine, and it, it. So I learned a little bit about the pronunciation, which I, I I'm pretty close now, I think. But yeah, and like, as you mentioned, it's um, cook in wine or stew in wine um mm -hmm. so coke o vin it's a it is a tongue twister to try to uh to, to try to Wait, now i have to know bob if you were to travel to south dakota and hunt in pier yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my grandparents after they sold the farm um outside of oneida um they lived in Pierre, yep. and for the longest time, everyone would say Pierre, and my grandparents were like, "No, it's Pierre." I just didn't know if you would. Oh, it. absolutely! I uh, <laughs> it, I hunt the Fort Pierre grasslands every September, and when I check okay. in, when I check in, they're like, "You're that guy that <laughs> pronounces it wrong." <laughs> you don't know. That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that is very funny. Yeah. Well, it's coming up, so I'm. I look forward to saying "peer" very soon. Prairie <laughs> chicken and, and sharp tail grouse season is, like you say, just around the corner. <laughs> but before then, all right, last time, folks, August twentieth, uh, forty dollars a virtual women wine and wild game event with your host. Marissa Jensen and the featured guest for that event, Daniel Pruitt. Thank you both so much for being on this episode of On the Wing Podcast. It was absolute pleasure. I'm excited to both go sharp tail grouse hunting 
and cook them afterwards right now. Nice. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of On The Wing Podcast. Please be sure to sign up for this event. Uh, you can become a member of Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever, your choice when you sign up. It's $40 for this event. That includes the $35 membership and the special event uh, with Danielle Pruitt. That, and there are also going to be some prizes brought to you by our, our partners in this event, which is Pheasant for Dinner which is McFarland Pheasants. So if you need to pre-order some pheasant, you can go to Pheasant for Dinner on the, on the interweb. Uh, we also have Walton's, uh, a national sponsor of our organization, and Pretty Hunter, who has been a uh, real a longtime partner of ours, being an exhibitor at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic the last um, number of years. And they make um, a variety of jewelry and different things, right, Marissa? Correct. Yes. Yes. So participants can look forward to receiving um, some special offers and gifts after the show is complete. Awesome. All right, folks, we have made our case. Please join us and uh, <laughs> it will be a wonderful time. Folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. And I'm Bob Sapier saying always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening.